All right, are we all ready? Now I gotta remember what I say. <laughs> Hey, this is Janine Truitt. Welcome to HR Wonder Women. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of HR Wonder Women. I am Wendy, your host, and with me as always is Anne. Anne, how are you today? I am doing well, Wendy. I um, am not going to talk about the weather. No, I'm doing, <laughs> I'm doing really well. Although, as I mentioned pre-show, we had, um, I had gotten a little bit out of the habit of working out and have just recently got back into the habit and all of my muscles are saying, why, why? <laughs> um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to force them into submission by continuing to go. So good I'm for good. you. Good for yeah. you. I have, I have got to get back on that too. I have, I'm actually uh, teaching a PIO class coming up and I haven't practiced in a while. So uh, before I get in front of people and work out, I should probably know what I'm doing. Oh. Uh, well, we're going to um, jump into the show. We do kick off the show in a, in a usual way with uh, our new way of identifying ourselves. Um, so I am Wendy, and I identify as a straight, white, Christian, um, non-disabled female, and I use the she and her pronouns. And you, Anne? Uh, we're like twins. Um, I am <laughs> a white, cisgender, straight, non-disabled female, also Christian. Um, and I also use the she and her pronouns. So we are excited to welcome Janine Truitt um, yes. to the show tonight. So excited that she was available to talk with us. Um, so Anne, I'm going to let you do the introduction before we jump on in. Great. Thank you so much. So Janine Truitt. Uh, Janine is the owner and chief innovations officer for Talent Think Innovations, LLC a business strategy and management consulting firm. Her career spans 14 years in HR and talent acquisition that has taken her through the world of pharmaceuticals, healthcare, staffing, and R&D. Janine is a dynamic speaker, entrepreneur, and an important and respected voice bringing both a human touch and business savvy to the companies and businesses she works with. It is through the trials and tribulations of her career travels and her passion for business, technology, digital transformation, and talent management that she created Talent Think Innovations in January 2013. Her aim is to provide practical and sustainable solutions, programs, and strategies that are a catalyst for innovation. Through her work, she is using her experience to get businesses and individuals from surviving to thriving, allowing them to succeed in an age of rapid transformation. Janine doesn't just preach innovation, she lives it. A globally known figure in human resources and business, she has contributed for Performance I Create, Switch and Swift, Talent.com, and IRIS.xyz, and more. Janine is a rare professional who isn't afraid to tackle the obstacles and issues facing us as a society and global marketplace. She's been quoted by HBR, Bustle, The Cut, Atlanta Black Star, Newsday, Sherm, USA Today, and has been featured by Entrepreneur, Fast Company, Black Enterprise, and Ebony Magazines. In 2013, Ms. Truitt was also named one of the top 100 most social human resource experts on Twitter by Huffington Post and one of 50 plus unstoppable women in HR tech by Clear Company. Additionally, she was part of the first ever IBM plus Pure Matter VIP Futurist Project. Janine is currently in the process of transitioning her knowledge and work in HR into a technology company that will address the challenges the differently abled community has in becoming gainfully employed. She proves that humility, innovation, and practical thinking has value and is fast becoming the new business imperative. Visit her blog, The Aristocracy of HR. Follow her tweets on Twitter, at Zarina of HR. Catch her in action every Thursday at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on her Periscope show, Ask Zarina Live, and on Anchor FM for her Growth on My Terms podcast. Um, and we will have those links in our show notes. Janine, I am so excited to get to talk to you. Um, even if I hadn't been excited, then just like reading your bio would have, <laughs> would have made me excited, right? And so I know that all of our listeners are going to really enjoy this conversation. Um, Thank you. I, I am going to jump right into our first question. And, you know, Wendy and I just identified ourselves and um, I, was, I was saying to her a little bit earlier, you know, I intentionally identify in a lot of ways on this show. Um, because I want to own my privilege in the context of this conversation where we're really talking about intersectionality and, um, you know, Wendy and I started this, this whole podcast series as a way to um, 
you know, ex explore inter intersectional feminism within the HR world. Um, and, you know, we know that intersectionality matters. Uh, so that's why we're here doing this podcast. So we have a lot of different ways, everyone does, in which we identify. And different parts of our identify matter more in some spaces than others. So when thinking about this particular conversation, how do you identify and what are your pronouns? That's an interesting question because I don't know that I've given it a whole lot of thought. But um, I would say that if I had it my way, I would identify as... Um, you know, an, an Afro-Caribbean woman, um, cisgender woman who is um, non-disabled and um, an omnist. I'm not sure if you know what an omnist is, but an omnist. So um, basically an omnist is somebody who can take from a lot of different religions um, oh. and incorporate them all. So I am by birth. A Christian, um, a Lutheran in specific, um, and grew up in the Roman Catholic Church as well. But um, I have found myself drawn to find the truth in, in a lot of different religions because I think that there is a general thread between them all. And so that's where I'm most comfortable these days. That is cool. I was not familiar with the term. So thank you for sharing that. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yes, definitely. That was very cool. Um, we always learn something. So, all right. Well, so that's the show. We've already learned something for the day. No. <laughs> well, Janine, tell us a little bit about your HR journey and what led you to start Ask Sarzina Live. Yeah. Um, so I started in staffing in uh, 2005 and I started working in a scientific group for a staffing firm. So I used to basically consult and hire um, for the pharma industries, R&D, and things like that. Um, and I pretty much stayed in technical fields for the whole time. So I started in staffing. I hated it. Um, got out of that quickly. <laughs> yep. And uh, went into home care because I had spent, prior to graduating, I had spent eight years in healthcare. So ultimately I'd hoped to have um, taken my HR experience and, and had that be expressed in the realm of healthcare. So I went to home care and then went on to a major healthcare system here in North Shore, LIJ now known as Northwell. Um, and my last stint was in Brookhaven National Lab, which was R&D. They're one of 12 national laboratories that are under the Department of Energy. So um, Astarina Live really, you know, is just kind of part of these like multiple prongs of my brand <laughs> that came about. Like um, the aristocracy of HR truthfully was the first thing. So I had gotten thrown into social media by um, the hospital system that I worked with, this was like back in 2009 and somebody on high said, Hey, we need to be on social media. It's a thing. And so they hired like a PR company and basically told us the worst thing possible, which was that we needed to talk them up on social media and make them look good. Even if we hated them and I hated them quite a bit. I try to kind of figure out like Twitter at that point, and basically I started tweeting out HR tips just to see like who was out there. It was almost like a beacon of light, like who else is out there in the HR world? I have no idea how to use this thing. And the one of the first people that noticed what I was doing was um, MJ Cardi. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He works for Expert HR, but he's over in the UK. And he was like, hey, your HR tips are like amazing. And he was kind of like the, the door to all other HR people. He's like, well, do you know this person? And do you know that person? And um, little by little, it was like, oh, wow, it's, it's a whole crew of people. So um, I continued doing that. And then this company, Toolbox of HR, for HR, had reached out and said, hey, we love your tips. Have you ever thought about blogging? And I was like, absolutely not. I don't have time for that. Um, are you crazy? And they're like, just write an article for us and let's see. And so I did. And shockingly enough, somebody cared. I had like comments and I was like, wait, somebody actually cares what I have to say. <laughs> so um, I continued with the aristocracy of HR and, you know, just as time went on, just that and 
building the business and as video kind of took center with everything on social media, I kind of said, you know what, it might be cool to just do a show. Um, you know, at first centered around HR topics, but, you know, really kind of making it simple for like the everyday person. But as I went on, I was like, I don't just want to talk about HR anymore. Like, I kind of want to talk about a lot of things. I want to do my Oprah thing. Yeah. So I started talking about everything, you know, from tech to parenthood, to the state of education, um, diversity and inclusion. I've touched love, you know, relationships. So it's really just become a platform where I can come and let my hair down and not be the HR lady and kind of show a little bit more of my own personality and things that I'm interested in other than policies and strategy and such. And it's, it's been good. I've been at it for four years now. Um, you know, with a, a growing, I'm getting sponsored shows now and things. So it's, it's fun. You know, even if I wasn't getting that, I would still do it. It's just <laughs> fun to interact with people on that level. Yeah, I think it is so cool that you have grown it from just um, like tips on HR, like, let me just, you know, like, do these things, do these things to something that's really like your full self, right? So it mm-hmm. isn't that you just had to keep it um, just keep your HR hat on or just, just keep it in that one lane. And I think um, I've been thinking a lot lately about the difference between bringing our full self to work and bringing our authentic self to work. And um, I think it, it is very difficult to bring your full self to work. You can be authentic, but you're not going to bring everything. Some stuff you purposely want to hold back because it, it doesn't need to be shared at work, but you're um, making this into something where you can not only be authentic, but you can be your full self in this endeavor. Um, which I really love. And it segues kind of into the next question. So thinking about that, what can we do to encourage, and um, when you identified, you you said that you identified in part as an Afro-Caribbean woman. Mm -hmm. And um, so as a woman of color, with your own specific background, and we're not asking you to speak for all women of color Mm -hmm. or all Afro-Caribbean women, because that you can't do that. Um, But you have a unique perspective on what HR needs to do to allow women to rise and thrive in their organization. So how to be more of their full self and and completely their authentic self within our organizations. What are some things, um, give us some tips. No. (laughs) (laughs) Give us some tips, darling. Give us some tips. We're dying. No, you know. (laughs) Right, like we're not asking for tips, but but from yeah. your perspective, what are things that HR should be doing? Because what I hear a lot, um, especially I will say what I hear a lot from black women is I couldn't be all of that in my organization. I had to go out and find something else and do something else. And that's why so many black women are entrepreneurs. Um, but the reality is not every woman can be an entrepreneur. And yeah. And women going on to become entrepreneurs should be something that they're doing because they're called to it, not because they're driven out of our organizations. So what can we be doing yeah. to create organizations where women who want to stay within the organization can stay and thrive? What I've seen is there is a specific pedigree that corporate America likes to see in a woman of color. And that's part of the issue right there. I mean, there, there's a pedigree almost across the board, to be honest, like nobody really can bring their whole self. Like if I want to be fair about it, um, because right from the gate, there's a job description, right? There's a job description and it says, I want you to be a team player and we want you to be, you must be upbeat and you must be, you know, like all these things and you read it and you say, to yourself, well, I may not have a lot of these things, but like I have these knowledge, skill, and abilities, so I'm going to apply to it. And then you end up going into that organization, and based on what you see, you regress towards the mean, basically, of what you see, no matter who you are. That is white, black, green, otherwise, you know, that's just what it is. Um, For women of color, that regression towards the mean is is far more egregious Mm. because it just, it's not us. Right. It's not our flavor. It's not what we bring to the table. It's not us. And so, you know, we begrudgingly become something that is inauthentic to us to survive, to 
get the paycheck, to get the prestige. Um, and, and then at a certain point, as you start to climb the ladder, you find yourself, I think at points, or at least I found myself like, who, who am I even? Like, who's this person? There's the me outside of work, you know, and then there's the me that shows up here and the two are not alike. And I don't really like it. I don't love it, um, but it's what I've got to do, you know? So to your point, it's like, if it's what you've got to do, you do what you have to do. But while you're doing it, you're also eroding pieces of yourself. And this is where the pedigree comes into play because the pedigree person of color that is, you know, accepted and loved and lauded and praised in the workforce is the one that comes to work super grateful. It's the one that says, oh my God, thank you so much for the job. Oh, I got a project. Oh my God, thank you so much. Oh, you gave me 10 cents. Thank you so much. They keep their head down, their mouth shut, and they get stuff done. There is no place for Jenny Truitt in corporate America. Yeah. Promise. I've tried it many times over. It never worked. It took me, oh, I don't know, eight years to figure out that I, I was not going to make it in corporate America. Why? Because I have a mouth. Because if I see something, I'm going to say something. Um, because I'm intelligent and I use it. Uh, um, because I know my rights and I will use that, <laughs> you know, um, because I'm unapologetically black and I don't try to regress myself towards the me because that's not who I am. There's no place for women like me, which is why, to your point, we continue to make a way. Because what else do you do? You sit there and suffer, especially my generation for certain. We're just not, we're not with the crap. We're just like, enough, you know, like we've watched our mothers and our grandmothers and our aunts go into the workforce and they come home and they gripe about the stuff that goes on and they just continue keeping on. It's no life. It's no life like to live like that. So it's, you know, it's become a bigger issue for particularly the younger generation than the older because they're like, well, just shut up, just do the job. Like, just shut up. We know, we know. And we're like, no, this shit is wrong. <laughs> yep. Enough. Yeah. 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 No, I to totally agree with that. And it's, um, yeah, as, and we kind of talked about this a little bit, Janine, you know, I'm, I'm a Gen Xer and I grew up in a time where we were all told, you know, just be quiet, work hard, wait your turn, all of that. And then you darn millennials come up and won't wait your turn. Um, <laughs> no. we're something look at the Gen Zers. Thank God that people are, you know, yeah. that, that you guys are a step away from that of, you know, shut up and wait. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of that, not just in, in all of any, however you identify, there's a lot of that things that what you grew up with and, and moving into that. And you, so you have to take all of that, that whole piece. Um, and even back beyond that, you know, like you were saying, we we're talking about how this was all set up um, eons ago. Um, and none of us had anything to do with it, but this is a system we live in. We need to stop saying this. Well, this, how did we get here? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how we got here anymore. This is where we are. And we need to own it and make it better. That's what we're trying to do. <laughs> One small piece at a time. One. Yeah, one I mean, you know, we, we won't, it, it's, I, I was having this argument with somebody recently, um, and their, you know, rebuttal to me feeling like I can fix any of this was, it starts with the kids. We're doomed. Like, forget adults. It starts with the kids. And it's like, I get that. I get that. Like, we, we do, right? Because they're the next generation. They're far more malleable than us thick-headed mm -hmm adults but i'm like we've got to start somewhere right you know like from the perspective of change management right i always go back to that because i've done a lot with that you you by proxy you deal with your allies first and foremost right and then you have those people that are agnostic right up the middle so the goal is that through your good works and whatever you can do with your allies that you kind of start to move some of the agnostic people over with you right and then the dissenters are going to be dissenters. And sometimes you get the dissenters over because they're like, well, dang, you know, maybe 
there's something to this madness this this uh good do gooder is doing over here right? <laughs> and so you get a few of them but you never get everybody this has no. been this this has been the case in history period if you look at the rise and fall of civilizations like i'm a nerd like that and things like that this is how it's always been right there's yeah. usually something catastrophic or some um egregious um abuse of power and the people get tired of it after a time and they rise up and there's these grassroots things and governments are overthrown and you know there's just always this progressive reset reset of society um you know where we get better but then we get worse and then we swing back and then there's some balance, you know, so we just have to do a little bit, a little bit. Every bit helps the collective, I think. Yeah. For sure. And I think, yes, we certainly want to do better by the kids that we're bringing up, but if we don't face what we've actually got, we've got nothing to teach the kids. Right. You know? Right. Yeah, um, exactly. Yep. I think well, we have driven way far off of our questions, Wendy. Where, well, no, and where, that's, it actually, you know, I know we have, you know, I we think we've covered it. everything in our questions, actually. We do, but, you know, here's the thing I think that's, I mean, because we've talked about a little bit about this, and Janine, when you and I chatted earlier, we talked about how you've got, um, you've talked with other Black Afro-identifying women, and, you know, no, you're not speaking for everybody, but there are some universal experiences out there that you, you know, oh, that happened to you? Oh, that happened to me. And I think women, yeah. we all have that in some way, mm -hmm. shape, or form. Totally. Um, but talk, let's talk, uh, what are, you know, what are some of those good things? And what are some of the not so good things? And how can we all learn from what's good and what's not to be better? Yeah. So, I mean, just in our little HR community, I was just so shocked. I told you this, Wendy, to fine like all these women midwest southwest west south northeast and you have these discussions about your you know career travels and it's like wait did you have the same boss as me did we work at the same company and and it's like well okay so i'm not i've not lost my mind because there's you know there's a certain semblance of when these things happen you know when the bullying starts when the inequity starts, that you start to, after a few jobs, literally I stepped back, I'm an introspective person and said, is it me? Like, let me really evaluate this. Did I, where did I go wrong? Did I do something here? And I couldn't quite get there. And then when I spoke to other black women from all sorts of parts of the country, I'm like, oh, so this is what we're doing. This is a thing. Like, th this is what we do. Maybe there's a manifesto. So, I, I mean, as far as the not-so-good things, what I've found is there are, there's a rule book, an unspoken rule book, and Black women do not get privy to that. Women of color, period, do not get privy to it. And it just gets rewritten as it serves and suits the organization and those that they want to see rising the ranks. So you, you know, you inevitably you come in very gung ho. They're excited to have you and you're excited to be there and you work in your role and things are good for a time until you hit this plateau. And it's like, suddenly you're doing something wrong. Either you're too vociferous or you're not um, amicable enough in the sense that you're, you're fraternizing with other people and that becomes the thing they want to ding you on or you're too serious and they don't know why you don't joke around more. And suddenly you're wanting to have discussions about your good works. Like forget all the soft stuff, but you know, I hear you, but I'm look at the work that I'm doing. Look at this body of work and your body of work is vast. I have never spoken to a woman of color who didn't work. Her natural took us off literally. I mean, projects. Um, what can I do more policies? Like, everything again because of that conditioning you're taught hey wherever you can get in fit in there and if you can do more do more um but the do more just makes you a worker bee and it doesn't really translate well into the c-suite and if you can't play the politics and the bureaucracy which we are not privy to how that gets played then you're definitely damned for sure um and so you have all these aspirations 
all of this education that they keep telling you you have to go back for because you never have enough, you know? So it was at, at the point that I got my bachelor's and had six HR certifications from Cornell under my belt, it was, oh, that's great, Janine, but how about getting your PHR? Oh, that's great, Janine, that you have nine credits towards your master's, but how about the full master's? Meanwhile, I was reporting to and doing work on behalf of women, white women, who had a high school diploma and were continuously getting um, under off-cycle raises and on-cycle raises for mediocre work. Couldn't write a policy to save their life couldn't set a strategy to save their life. In fact, most internal partners didn't even know that they were directors or managers. They thought I was. But I was getting paid, I was getting the, the 2% per year. Thank you for, for your job. So the worker bee in the realm of you know women of color does not work, yet this is what we get told from the very beginning. And so we find ourselves over and over again spinning our wheels, never really achieving that success, unless we properly regress towards the mean and we play the game and we learn how to play the politics and be cutthroat and do a lot of the stuff that's not innate to us. Then you see us get into the VP roles and you see us get to president and all those sorts of things. And everybody's happy because finally they can say they have a woman of color in the echelons. Um, and the woman of color is happy because she's the first black woman to ever. And so it's wonderful for everybody, except it's not, you know, because they only ever let a few of us through anyhow. Um, and then for the rest of us that are towards the middle and bottom, the ones that rise to that level never resonate with us because they have changed their whole aesthetic to mirror what's at the top. So when the company thinks they're doing something good by just simply having a token in somebody, we're all like, well, she doesn't represent me. She doesn't know my struggle. She played the game and she's just like you. So, I mean, for all intents and purposes, she could not be black. She could not be Latina. She could not be indigenous, in my opinion. In fact, there's some white women that are several notches below that I would rock with more so than her. <laughs> you know, like... And so it's just, it's wild how they just, how these companies just really think having some sort of pedigree that they create is going to translate into um, a, some sort of um, mirage of success that other women can ascribe to. When we all know each of our roles, it, it just depends on how you show up and how the company wants to accept you. So those are some of the pitfalls, um, you know, in terms of the good that can be done. I think you have to, again, you, you have to just advocate for everybody across the board like you, you would anybody else. It, it's, it's really the advocacy. I didn't start seeing visibility for myself or my career until I had women allies that were willing to advocate for me. And there were quite a few, and not all of them were women of color. I have to be honest about that because I think, you know, part of this discussion is for you guys to own your white privilege, but I, I think it's fair for me to sit here as a woman of color and say that not all the time was it my own who did well by me. You know, sometimes it was a woman like you all who was like, I don't like this crap, you know, and I don't like the way they're doing you. And here's the rule book and I'm going to help you navigate it um, because the woman of color was too too busy, again, regressing towards the mean, being mm -hmm. a people pleaser. So it, it's set, it's like, it's almost like it's set up for us to be pit against each other. Oh, sure. Right? Because naturally, if I'm a woman of color and you have hit the, the upper echelons, I'm thinking like, whoa, you know, love to be a mentor, mentee under her or, or to have her advocate for me, but she can't advocate for me. There's only but so much she can do. She gets to be up there and be pretty and make the company look good and play the politics well. But she is, her job is not to get other women of color there, right? And so it breeds okay. resentment and it puts white women on a pedestal because you become the do-gooders, again, in that situation, whether it's genuine or not, right? Okay. You, you mm -hmm. get to, so in every situation, white women win and black 
black women are, le are left with these really heavy topics within our own community about, you know, why is it when you reach a certain level that you got to change it up? Why don't you put your foot down, you know, and hold down the fort? But they can't. So it's like as much as you want to have that, they can't. But Companies, you know, like for the ones that care anyhow, I'm not convinced that too many of them really care about diversity in a meaningful way. But the ones that do care, they really got to be mindful about this system because it happens without you even knowing it i think i think it's so mm -hmm. ingrained in every orifice yeah. of society now that it's just you know we just continue to kind of roll it out and see what happens and then oh we've got a problem oh we've got adverse impact let's let's go back to the drawing board let's go get us a black woman or a latina for the diversity and inclusion cdo role you know she'll yeah. fix it all and mm -hmm. But she goes into it knowing good and darn well she can't fix a, a thing other than be the first and everybody applauds it on some, you know, great mm -hmm. Martin Luther King, Malcolm X kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, we, keep it, we keep it moving because ultimately the strategy from that point on is going to be all people matter. Not black people, right. not Latinos, not indigenous. All people matter and you must execute a strategy that, that um, benefits all people, not the ones that have no leg in the game, right? Because having no leg in the game isn't really a problem. So we're going to try to apply the same principles as if everybody has the same head start. We know we all didn't start, you know, too many people started on third base and think, you know, I, I, I mean, how many times have we heard a white guy say, I worked my butt off to get where I am? Well, we're, yeah, we're not saying you didn't work hard to get where you did, but you started a lot farther ahead than a lot of people did. And you can't see that. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, there's the, just the perception alone of socioeconomic concerns is there's so much dissonance, right? Mm -hmm. So like you talk to some people and they're like, oh yeah, you know, like this one woman I'm coaching, love her dearly, but you know, it's, yeah, you know, I'm on my, I'm, I'm, I'm down and out and, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've got to find a job. Oh, but I live over here in a three floor townhouse in like a pretty nice neighborhood, right? So like when you, you say that to a person like me, and again, I didn't grow up super poor. I'm not even going to sit here and act, but I, but I know it. I've been around it and I know what that's like, right? A little bit more than most, but still I'm like, Oh, that's not the struggle at all. <laughs> like, are you on section eight? Mm -hmm. Are your bills up to, you know, like, are your bills behind? Is somebody knocking your door? Do you have somebody doing drugs in the neck, in the, in the hallway, like next to you? Like, you know, for me, I didn't grow up like that, but I know people who grew up like that. And I've certainly been in buildings where that stuff happens. So the come up for me is very different when, so then when you hear these things, I'm like, Okay, I don't want to poo-poo where you've been because it's all risk, right? It's all subjective. Right. I mean, for, for her, that is like, wow, I've really hit rock bottom. But I think it, it's important to step back, all of us. That includes me. And understand, like, sometimes you just have to listen and sh shut it. Because, you, you know, like, you, <laughs> because you haven't, you, what you're right. experiencing is right. far from horrible, you know, like, I've lived in a house. My parents are working class people and, you know, we always had a car and I always had food on the table. When I'm speaking to other black people or people in general who haven't had that experience, my job is to make space for them. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and do that gracefully and, and zip it. I don't know anything about roaches and rats in my house. I don't know anything about that. I don't know anything about my parents <laughs> not returning home and me having to fend for food every night. I don't know anything about that. But as another human being, I can empathize and recognize yeah. that that was a really crappy way to come up and give you some tools so that you can live your life better. And I think that's the piece that we're missing. Yeah, I think, yeah. well, I think that in particular is like that difference between being poor and being broke. And I think that people who are really poor are poor. And then there's a lot of people who are broke who think they're poor, but they're just broke. Right. Right. But I was really struck by what you said earlier about um, that no matter how it's played out, that white women win. And I think that um, 
you're right. And, and I think that what, what Wendy and I are trying to explore is ways for, to, for it to not have to be that way for us. Like, so it's more than white women mentoring women of color or helping them know how to play the game. It's white women using our privilege to change the game mm -hmm. yeah. so that it's not just because you're right. If, if I mentor someone and I, you know, she succeeds, even if I mentor her to where she succeeds above me in the, in the corporate ladder, I still win. Mm -hmm. Right. But I haven't changed the whole game. And so I think that's, I think that that's what Wendy and I are really exploring are ways within HR that we can challenge the whole system and not just find ways to help people of color work within a system that was created to never work for them, that the rules are, mm -hmm. the rules are always going to change. In the current system we have, the rules are always going to change. And you figure out the rules and you get it right, then it's going to be something else. And they're just always going to change without telling you because the whole point of the rules are to, to keep you down, mm -hmm. yeah. to never let you get there. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that, that the whole point of this podcast and a and large part of what we're just trying to do in general is figure out how to change the game because it's not a matter of changing the rules. We got to change the game. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, another point to make on the mentorship is mm -hmm. a lot of times mentorship seems like the easy fix. Um, and it, and, and oftentimes while it's an easy fix for the business, it is insulting to women of color. And the reason why is because many times the person who's in a position to mentor isn't even sm yep. remotely smarter than yep. the person that they're they're you know giving all of this uh, sage wisdom to, yep. and it's like I've been to school, I've got several degrees under my belt. Mentorship is not what I need. I need a level playing ground so that mm -hmm. I can show up and compete against other people who are similarly situated and have the ability to win, right? Yeah. It's recognizing exactly. that I'm not necessarily going to win, right? So the way that it's set up is this quota nonsense, which is I win because I'm black in this scenario because you haven't taken affirmative action to hire people like me. But when we talk about equity, it's that I've done all the right things and I am worthy and I'm going to be up there and considered for all opportunities or transfers or promotions or raises, just as any of my other counterparts. Doesn't mean I'm gonna get it, means I have a fair shake like everybody else to get it. I'm not counted out. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. All right, well, we'll, we'll, we'll move on. <laughs> And I think it's time for us to move on to everyone's favorite part of the HR social hour, our half hour question connection, which comes with the female twist. So you did talk a little bit about in when you, when you jumped into the HR journey, um, how you kind of had someone helping you and say, Hey, opening doors, say, do you know this person? Do you know this person? So talk a little bit more about that, about how networking has helped you and what now is effective for you as far as, um, recruit, uh, not recruitment, as far as networking. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, networking is so, so key. I mean, I think this whole thing of social media to me is a very unique and special thing. I mean, whenever has there ever been a time where you can simply hop on a platform, build a name for yourself, you know, specifically as a woman, um, be known beyond your HR desk, right? Because let's be honest, we all would have just been the HR lady in our respective <laughs> organization. There would have been no pomp and circumstance behind any of our names if not for this thing called social media. It really has democratized voices um, for the good, for good, bad, or indifferent, but I like to focus on the good. Yes. And, um, and so, you know, I have this robust group of people that I can call on at any time because I got on and I shared my thoughts. I shared my thoughts and, and things that I knew and I didn't keep it in a silo or keep it to myself. I wasn't, you know, greedy about it. And, you know, we are, we're in the digital era and we are in a time where um, hoarding information is no longer going to help. 
We have complex problems that we have to be solving in all of our organizations in life. And we get better, exponentially better going into the 2020s by sharing that knowledge with one another, um, really, whether that's digitally or in person. Um, so, you know, if not for my presence really on social media, Talent Think would not exist. It wouldn't exist. I wouldn't have had the gumption to do it as early as I did. I wouldn't have had people putting the battery in my back telling me it was a wise thing to do. It literally all my mentors that pushed me towards Talent Think were like listening to me about my woes at my job offline. And basically just were like, get out of your own way. You need to start your consulting firm far earlier than you think you do. Like you've outgrown the corporate world. And that was huge. I would have never had that mentorship in any of my companies. Who was going to tell me that? Go and start a business. This is, this is beyond you now. So, I mean, there's just, there's really good people out here. Um, and I think if people spend, if, if every HR practitioner is going to spend just a little bit of time every week getting to know some of the people out there and finding the synergies between the ones they're meant to be connected to, it can take your career to heights you won't imagine. If not from just the knowledge that you get from them, um, that you wouldn't have had it, opportunities, doors open. You know, like they're just, I can go on and on about the ways in which I've been blessed since meeting a lot of people in our sector. So um, it, it's super important. Now, as I'm in business, I have clients to serve. So, you know, the one thing I will say is that um, not all networking is good networking. You know, you need to be really intentional about who you're networking with and the spaces that you're going in. And, and you don't always have to know all the people either or meet all the people. So now I don't focus in the beginning. I focused on meeting all the people. Like I wanted to cast this really wide net. Um, I didn't find that that served me because I was, you know, attracting all sorts of characters and things. Um, now I cast a much smaller net and I don't try to meet all the people. I just go in there with a positive energy and know that I'm going to attract the right tribe to me, you know, and I, I try to have really intentional conversations and those things often lead to, if not a collaboration, something or some sort of advice that I needed. Um, so yeah, if you're not out here networking, you're doing yourself a great disservice, whether it's digitally or in person, like get out there. I don't care if it's a meetup in your neighborhood and it's five people, go meet people um, and, and find out what's going on outside of your organizations in your own life, you know, because there's a lot. And, and I think we all can use to have a, you know, vaster perspective of what's happening. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so in that vein, tell us some women that you read or follow for professional insights. Oh boy. So, so many. Um, so, I mean, I, my, my girl, Sarah Morgan, that's my girl. I, I, I adore her and she's a strong lady and, you know, she knows her stuff. I, I like her very much. Um, I love Jasmine Wilkes, um, mm -hmm. Kirsten Gray, um, Greg's, uh, Tiffany Keel. She's not often center, but she does a lot of good from where she sits over there in Minnesota, and she's just a good human. Um, Minda Hartz, she's new to me, but I, I love what she's about. Um, Dr. Janice Presser, she's one of my dearest friends and uh, mentors, you know, a techie lady, a, a world of work lady, and has been such a catalyst for me behind the scenes. Like she doesn't boast. She's just who she is. And she's constantly like, you good? Did you see that news article? I'm sorry. I love you. I love your family. What can I do? So when we talk about you know allies like that's so important you know to just have somebody that's just like hey I see you I love you I want better you know just checking on you kind of stuff so um yeah love her Allie Poland is another one she's more on the leadership end but uh so practical so human I just love what she's about um I can go on and on. There's just, <laughs> there's just so many, so, so many women that I adore, really. 
Oh, great, great list there. Great, great list. Um, hopefully we have plenty to get Minda on the show um, right before her book comes out. So I'm super ex I, I'm excited. I need to get my pre-order in. <laughs> yes, me too. Me too. Yeah. Um, how about a favorite movie that features a strong female cast? I'm going to go with League of Her Own. Austin? I don't know. I just love that movie. It's just one of my favorite. Um, I love that movie. And I also, I'm just going to throw this one in just because it's fun and it's super girly. And I tend to like that stuff sometimes, but it's the sweetest thing. Um, and it's with Selma Blair and Cameron Diaz and Christina Applegate. And I mean, it's a love story, but it's also like about the sisterhood and it's just like these young women and they're all professional and they're all kind of cool and they do dance montages. It's just like, <laughs> it's just so, it's such a fun movie. I love it so much and I love the way that they mesh in that movie. So that's another favorite of mine. Awesome. Cool. Cool. What about a favorite female uh, musician or band? Oh, wow. Um... I'm going to go with Angelique Kijo. She is, um, she's an African um, artist and, and I just find her music so unique. I love it. Um, it just incorporates so many different types of music and more so than, you know, her being a musician, she, she's an activist. She uses her music for activism. So I have a great deal of respect for her. I will have to look her up. I don't think I've, uh, I've even heard of her before. So always happy to add new music to the iTunes list. <laughs> yeah. Yep. For longer sure. and longer, but that's good. Okay. So favorite female protagonist in a book or favorite female fictional character? Right now I am huge, just waiting for Dark Phoenix to come out in June. I am a huge fan of the Dark Phoenix. Um, I love Marvel and I grew up watching X-Men and all of that. And I had the cards and so that they're going to like memorialize her like as a real person in the movies is like huge for me. There's just nothing stronger than her. She uses her mind to control mm -hmm. people and she will obliterate things just by a mere thought. And that to me, like, I feel like if there was going to ever be a doppelganger of me, I'd be, <laughs> literally, I just obliterate people with my mind, like on the fly, like, oh, you annoy me, peasant, and dust, <laughs> you know, done. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Awesome. Oh, oh, that is great. That is great. Yeah. Um, so you have your finger in a lot of things. You are a very busy woman. What do you do when you are not working? Oh, yes. I like the beach. I spend a lot of time at the beach. So Long Island, that's what we're known for. I'm big on that. I'm a cook. Um, so I like to get into the kitchen and just kind of create stuff and pretend like I have my own bed and breakfast. Nice. <laughs> just <laughs> bake and make appetizer cute little appetizers and all that sort of stuff and I'm a big we'll user. come we'll come stay with you and you can make your house and your bed and breakfast and you can well, feed us and we would it's, be it's gonna happen to you out. so happy I'm racking up so many people you know on this bed and breakfast idea I keep speaking out there, but <laughs> I keep telling them the dream after town think is the bed and breakfast like I'm just gonna have a bed and breakfast on the beach and I'll have like, you know, yoga and we'll have like <laughs> bonfires and I'll oh, also have the bartender. We're there. I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> just come let your hair down. Just be a big girl's party and it'll be great. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. I love it. Well, I, I am going to be in uh, New York City in May. So I will keep you posted on that because I would love Please. to. Yes. That would be amazing. Meet in person. I think that would be. Yeah. I, definitely. I just literally just found out and I'm just like, oh. <laughs> yeah, that would be so much fun. Yes. Yeah, definitely. So, but Janine, this has been just fantastic conversation. I am so happy, so happy that we were able to make this happen and um, 
because there's just there's so much to digest from this conversation. I can't wait to, to actually sit and listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, it's different. No, totally. Thank you. And I have to say, I mean, honestly, I mean this. Thank you so much for doing this. I mean, it first. I know it's a lot <laughs> to take. It. <laughs> I, I I can't even imagine, but it's it's so needed, and I'm appreciate. I'm appreciative of you making space for us to have a voice, honestly. So thank you. Well, I, you know, and it's, I, I appreciate you coming on and, and being willing to, I think the last show we said these two middle-aged white ladies, um, <laughs> you, know, we're, we are. you know, the thing is we, we're just trying to get it right. And I, and I, um, we're going to make mistakes as we're out there. And so, you know, really I, we want people to, to be able to, you know, even take us aside and say, no, that's not it at all. Please stop. Um, right. <laughs> and, and to be, you know, we'll own that. Um, I've, you know, from some, again, I grew up in a super small town and um, getting away from that defensiveness of it wasn't me. All these conversations take us there. And so if we only affect me or Anne, that's something. Um, I, but I don't think that's it. I think we're getting a lot of folks that are very interested in these conversations. So I, so appreciate that. Um, and so ho- this is your chance, Janine. Um, tell the folks how to, how to find you um, on social media, um, where we find your bed and breakfast so we can start stalking. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm starting a GoFundMe right now. No. There we go. I will, I will contribute. Um, I'll bring the Girl Scout cookies. You can <laughs> Awesome. Um, so I'm at Zarina VHR pretty much on every platform. That's C-Z-A-R-I-N-A of HR. Um, you can find out more about my business, Talent Think Innovations at www.talentthinkinnovations.com. Uh, the podcast is Growth on My Terms, uh, as well as it, it is a platform on Instagram as well. So yeah, I play on Instagram, Snapchat, all of them find me and I'm always happy to connect with people. I will never shut you. Awesome. And we will put all that in the show notes so that people can link directly to that. Um, how about you, Ann? Uh, the best place to find me is Twitter. That is where I spend most of my social media time. It's at Ann Tomk, A-N-N-E-T-O-M-K. Uh, yeah, that's just really the best place to find me. And for me, um, best way to find me is on Twitter. I am Wendell 93 there and uh, links to everything else you'll find, um, through Twitter. Uh, it's how we, how I found you, Janine, how I found Anne. So we love, absolutely love Twitter. So find us there. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, huge, I want to put a shout out to, um, Skill Scout and uh, Elena Valentine helping out with the production of our show. Um, they do a fantastic job. So um, happy to be partnering with them. And of course, the HR Social Hour. Join us on Twitter, fourth Sunday of each month, 7 p.m. Eastern time um, for the latest chat. We have uh, lots of fun. It's a fast hour, um, but we, we really enjoy it. It's another great way to get to know a lot of HR folks. So uh, Janine, thank you so much for joining us tonight. And thank you as oh, always. Thank you, thank you Janine. For joining me. And uh, for the HR Social Hour and for HR Wonder Women, this is Wendy. And I encourage you all, go out and tell your story. Thank you.